This episode of After the Whistle contains profanity. Listener discretion advised. Please enjoy. Before we start episode 122 with Elliot Friedman, by the way, and talk about that absolute mystery, I, I, I cannot figure out for the life of me how you get shit kicked in one game and come back and win. I, it has always baffled me how this happens. So you can explain it to me because clearly I have no answer for it. Hence the fact I've never been there. But good morning, Craig. Good morning. It's a great day. Before before we start, I I just and I'm we have not spoken this morning for people listening. I literally got on. You ready to go? I just need to say I'm so sorry for yesterday. I hung you out to dry. Like I I was so I had no energy yesterday. I couldn't have manufactured energy to provide to make for a decent conversation yesterday i'm so i completely apologize i had a i had a great weekend but a you know a long weekend but i had a great weekend and i woke up yesterday and i was just completely dragging so let's just leave it at that you were great i appreciated yesterday from from you that's all i have to say amazing it's amazing what happens how tired you are when you have to take care of three kids I only had two. I only had the two. I, I was watching my niece and nephew this weekend. My brother and his wife were away at a wedding, and I offered to take care of the kids because my son was away with his mom at a wedding. Okay. And so I was just kind of like, you know what? If you guys are going away, I, you know, they needed someone to take care of uh, my niece and nephew. I was like, I'll, I'll do, you do think it. It's, do you think it's stress-related? Like the stresses of just kind of – you know, getting organized, preparing dinners, lunches, everything, bedtime, just making sure that things are just all running smoothly. Well, over the weekend, you mean for me, 100% because they're not my kids. Exactly. So I was like, I bet if you were to ask Courtney, she would tell you that I double check times because Juliet had a dance recital this weekend. Gavin had soccer. So like I was going, I was you know what I mean? Like I wasn't, it wasn't hang out at the house with the kids. It was like, we're, we're moving. So that's where my head was at. I just All woke right. up and I just, I couldn't even. You're apologizing for one episode. I'll apologize for 120 of them. <laughs> so well said, well we're, said anyway, we're even we're even. So um, I, I just don't want to go back to what I said to you when we first started. And it's the, it's what I was thinking last night. How does this happen? The fans in the stands in your building is like having another player. The electricity of the fans elevates these players. The fans don't Can't understand. Tell me that's that's why they came. One thousand. They didn't even score the first goal. Doesn't matter. They didn't so, have to score the first goal. I, their fan I, base clearly. when they scored their first one was electric and when you score the first goal and the fans you know 20,000 people absolutely losing their marbles it is it's energy 
it's adrenaline. These players take their game to another level and a, a largely because of the fan base. I, I believe that. Well, all I know is the offside call bummed me out, but and it, it was right. It's the right call. I hate the, I hate the video review. I do. I just, I can't believe that we're in a Stanley cup final game three and we're stopping the game. You know, I mean, and I don't think it should have taken as long as it did. I mean, come on, like, common sense should prevail there you know you could could have sped that one up right away that was clear as day but i hate it but anyway i just i just you say the fans i don't think it's the i don't i don't i can't say it's not the fans all right how about that i can't say it's not the fans but i i guess it just shocks me and I, I've always wondered this. How do you get your ass kicked and then come back and, and play like that against, against the best team in the league? So it's not like you're, you get your ass kicked one night against, uh, you know, Carolina, who's the top team in, in, the, in the division or even conference at times, or the Florida Panthers who won the President's Trophy. And then the next night you're, you're beating uh, Montreal. You know what I mean? Like you get your ass kicked by... Colorado, who's arguably the best team in the league, and then you come back and you beat them six two. I don't understand the mindset. I, I guess because that's, the that's, games that's what I respect so much about these athletes, and it's such a, it's such an oversight. Everyone just attributes it to ability and ability and ability, speed and skill and coaching. The psychology and the mental toughness that it that requires to to be in that position and respond like that—that's what I find most impressive. That's yeah. to be able to collectively do that as a group of twenty. Go out there, your your backs are up against the wall. I mean, you're down two nothing at home. You lose that game. You said it yesterday. It's over. Mm-hmm. So I mean. I don't know. I just I I the 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 psychology behind it is what I find most. But it's impressive. simple. Like playoffs are playoffs are what make things so exciting and great. Yeah, Players, but Craig, I, I never I've never I've never been there. I've never been in a high pressure moment like that at the highest level. I mean, junior or whatever. I mean, but at the highest highest level, I've never been there. I felt the the pressure and stress of wanting to win through our rides with the Sabres, but never, never a, a, a magnitude like that. Like you've played in game sevens. I, I don't, I, I don't, I just, I can't, it, it is, it's a mystery to me. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, game sevens are a completely different conversation. Um, but what we're talking about right now is, is, is losing a huge game. You know, I've, I've been with, with teams, um, and you know, this, what happens after a team loses a game like that during the red regular season, what's going to happen the next day. You're going to get murdered in the video. You're going to get murdered in the video. You're going to get shit on by the coach. Everyone's yep. going to point out all the negative long things. practice. He's going to go over all of the goals. He's going to show the lack of effort maybe, or the lack of positioning, the lack of desire, maybe not wanting to block a shot, maybe not boxing out quick enough. There's so many things. And what's going to happen during the regular season is you're going to sit in the room 
for 45 minutes plus, maybe upwards of an hour, and you're going to break down film. That's what you do, okay? In the playoffs, if you lose a game 7 nothing, coach is going to walk into the room and say, hey, we're down 2 nothing. going back to our building. The next one's ours. And I bet you they don't even look at the tape. I bet you he crumples that up, throws it in the garbage, does not even show the players, does not show the players. You don't need to show the players. At this point in the season, they're worn out mentally and physically. Every single one of these players is dealing with some sort of injury that's nagging and, and, and he's, he's fatigued mentally. The bodies are completely worn down to shit. Like, I mean, I remember at this time, you are running on fumes, okay? And every game, every single game that you play is a different match. It's a different match. So it doesn't matter if you lose a game two to one in triple overtime or lose a game seven, nothing because they're exactly the same. It's a loss and you don't go and you do not dwell over it. You just move on. You put it behind you. You gather yourself. You make sure that your body, you eat properly, drink properly, make sure you get the treatment that you need on your injury because every single guy has an injury right now. And you make sure that you're ready to go. So when you come to the rink in that game three, you understand the magnitude of the game. Now, this is where I'm saying the fans of Tampa Bay are absolutely essential. It is what changes the game. That's why playing in the, playing uh, in another person's building in the playoffs is so difficult because the fans are loud, they're obnoxious, they 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 create insane amount of energy and adrenaline for the home team. Those players feel these fans; they feel all the energy. And here's the thing: it's vice versa for Colorado. The fans are sucking energy from Colorado. They're sucking energy. And that's why home ice advantage is so big. I'm not going to wait for Van to come on this week to uh, call you out on something. So I'm just going to do it because one of our Twitter followers, um, (laughs) he mentioned it. So uh, he connected us to a tweet. He said, thought he didn't fit in the lineup anymore, Craig. And he's talking about the big rig, Pat Maroon's goal. Well, great for Pat Maroon. But holy shit, like the fucking guy can't skate where shit. It is unbelievable how intelligent (laughs) he is. Listen, I mean, you can call him a fourth liner. Like, listen, I don't call Patrick Maroon a fourth liner. I think he's insanely intelligent. I think he's got, he's got very, and I mean very good skills, like a little saucers, the little dangle hands. He's very, he's very, very good in tight. But watching him skate around the ice and pivot forward to backwards, it's like, ooh, Jesus, like, whoa. This guy looks like he's going to topple over at, uh, at any second. But you know what? He finds, he finds a way to get it done. He is not pretty in the way that he moves around the ice right now. But he is a very, very smart hockey player. And listen, I'll, I'll, you know, if I have Colorado, he's the guy that I want on the ice. He's, I know how smart he is. I know how positionally sound he is, but he can't skate. And this team, when they are skating, is without question the best team in the league right now. 
But listen, I mean, go ahead. Throw. Well, that no, he ain't, listen. It was it was an obvious. Once he scored, I thought the same thing. I mean, come on. If he doesn't score last night, you're not getting any shit for it. But it, I just. I just thought it was great. People are listening. People are listening and they pay attention to what, you know. Yeah, hang uh, off every single solitary uh, word we say. Listen, I still think Patrick Maroon can't skate. We're shit. Been (laughs) retired 10 years. I bet you I can skate smoother than him. 100%. I would guarantee you with everything I own that I'm a better skater than him right now. 10 years removed from the game. And that's the way it is. Like he is, he is a humongous man. He does his job exceptionally well. I remember back um, a couple years ago, Petey, after uh, St. Louis Blues ended up winning the Stanley Cup. Do you not remember the conversation that we had? I 100% remember the conversation. Yeah, what was it? Uh, Sabres should bring in Pat Maroon. Damn freaking right they should have. And you know what? Do you remember how and he much was making nine hundred grand? Wasn't he in Tampa? And I remember saying, I remember saying, pay him oh. two million to get him yes. here. Thank you. Pay Say him two again. million bucks to get him here. And I remember people were like, "You guys are idiots. You guys are dinosaurs. You guys are this. You guys are that. You know the dinosaurs. usual shit from the from the peanut gallery." And I'm just kind of like, I don't think these people. What? Because now I'm preaching bringing Nick Delorier. You know what I mean? Thousand, so it, thousand percent. I paid Nick Delorier two million bucks to, with the salary cap space. Thousand damn. percent. I'd make sure you could get Delorier Every here by giving him single solitary freaking kid, and I mean they're little kids right now. Got a little R- Rasmus Dahlin who's still twenty two. You got Yoki Haru who's twenty two. You got Power who's twenty. You got. Uh, case like I mean, you go through the lineup. This is a very young lineup. I'm not okay. putting Deloria. Here's lineup. the thing. I'm I, I listen. Okay, I get excited when I talk about Deloria because I love the guy. I I loved him when he was here in Buffalo. I loved his character, his demeanor, his work ethic. He went he went away. He had a family. He's matured. He's grown up. He's changed, and he has a role, and he knows it. And he's awesome. He was awesome in Minnesota. I mean, listen, I mean, I, I think he's a, I think he honestly is the type of guy that I wouldn't be surprised right now. And everybody listen to this. I would not be surprised right now if he goes back to uh, Anaheim, because I think that he got traded at the deadline and what did they trade for him? Do you have any idea? Remember back what they, what they got for Nick Delore? What pick they got? Maybe a, I don't know, third, fourth, fifth pick. It's, I can't it's just, remember. It's just a pick that, uh, um, you know, is going to benefit Anaheim because they're they're in a rebuild. But let me tell you, they definitely one hundred percent are going to want Nick Delorier back in that lineup because they have also a very young core. They have a young group. Um, for me right now, we need Nick Delorier more than any any team any team in the league. We need Nick Delorier more than any team in the league. And I'm not asking Nick Delorier to come in and just fight for the sake of fighting. That is absolutely not what I'm asking him. But what he is going to do is he is going to internally make this team more confidence because they know who they have on the bench and who's playing in the game. Because Nick Deloria can play. He can fly. Well, he that's the thing. I mean, fly. is 
Could you find a spot for him on the third line in Buffalo? No, absolutely okay. well, not. Well, settle down. Like, I mean, you don't have to sound so, like, well, adamant like, about listen, it. I, mean, I believe in the guy's ability. left winger. We're talking about a fourth line well, he had eight left goals winger. last year. I don't give a shit if he scored 22 goals. He's a fourth line left winger. Okay. He is a, he is a 10-minute-a-night player. He's a fourth line left winger. He is going to add tremendous amount of energy when he's on the ice. He can really, really skate. He can shoot the puck. He's very, very physical, but he is a presence. This is what you need to understand. When we cruise into Ottawa, okay, and they have some toughness with Watson and guys like that on the team, Watson is not sleeping the night before. Okay, because he knows Nick Delore is one of probably the most willing opponent in the league. Is he in the top to five toughest guys? Who's who's in the top five toughest guys in the NHL right now? Well, hands down, it's it's uh, uh, McDermott and and Ryan Reeves and Nick Delore. Those those three players right there, I think, well, are without question. He, here are five off the top of my head. Okay. Reeves, McDermott, Tom Wilson, Nick Delorier. Uh, I had somebody else on the on the tip of my tongue. Good Branson. Like, are these are these the toughest guys? You, like know, you know, you can you can you can go a lot of different ways with. Uh, like, it's amazing. I don't even know that I can really name ten guys in the NHL right now that I would say are tough guys. Would you throw that Bortuzzo in there? I mean, I don't I ever. Mean, if if Bortuzzo is a top five tough guy, this league has gone for a. I mean, fart, inside you know, the like, top. I mean, he's a he's oh, a tough kid. Has. But well, it's talking tough. Are you serious? There are like the toughest guy in the league. Oh, right the now? other the other guy is uh, Johnson from the Islanders. He doesn't play very much. He plays probably, you know, thirty forty games a year. But he is without question one of the toughest guys in the league, but he doesn't play. He's an interesting guy. Cause he's, he's, he's still a pretty young, uh, young guy, but uh, listen, I mean, you don't want fighters. Fighting I, I, is going I, to be you know that every guy that I just mentioned, I would consider hockey players that fight. Yeah. They're not, I, I'm not, I said the toughest players. I, yeah. I didn't say they're fighters. Yeah. You guys play Ryan Reeves plays. I like yes. Ryan Reeves as a player. Curtis McDermott plays. He for Colorado. He has not played. I don't think he's played a in a game this year. But I will say that uh, Curtis McDermott can play. I want to ask Elliot who the top five toughest players are. Just off the top of his head, remind me of that because I'll forget when he comes on here in five yeah. minutes. But it's awesome. Like, listen. I mean, I'm. I think both you and I are very, very happy with the direction of the league. I do not like the direction when I played, I think that there was far too much stupidity in the game, far too much emphasis on guys that were six, seven, 250, 60 pounds that ultimately when they went home in the summertime to train, they weren't getting a, a skills coach to go on the ice and work on their hands and their skating to get better. They were, they were going to MMA fighting clubs. That's not hockey. And that's what the game was back 10, 15 years ago, right? 
Would you agree with that? It was becoming that big time. Yeah. And, and I didn't like that at all. I know you didn't like it because you had to deal with that. And it's just, it was not good for the game. Um, I love fighting. I love a, a good fight, whether it's two, two small, small guys, medium sized guys, you know, as they call heavyweight guys, I don't, I'm, I like a good scrap, but not for the reasons that we had 15 years ago, 15 years ago, there were stage fights. Guys had to fight each other because there were two heavyweights on each team. And that's how you justified your, your job. That was not hockey. But what we're getting right now is, you know, we're, we're, the NHL has done a really nice job of, of bringing in, you know, a war chest of these younger, higher skilled players. There is, there's less fighting in the game, which I think everybody or a lot of people enjoy, uh, including me, but to understand there is still intimidation there is still fighting in this league. And when you have top-end players, like, for an example, if someone goes and takes a run at, at, at Point or, or Kucherov or, or Stamkos, you bet your, you bet your boots that you're going to have Patrick Maroon over the boards. You're going to have Bogosian. You're going to have Searneck. You're going to have guys jumping the boards, and they're going to make sure that that does not happen again. And... I, I've always, I've said this for 10 years. I said this literally for a decade that Buffalo needs some toughness. Now, I'll tell you this. The last little rant, because I've talked, talked a lot here. You're doing great. For a decade, both you and I have talked about toughness. And what I mean, what I mean, toughness, I need, I want to see guys that play a certain style of game, but guys that can play the game, not a guy who's a fighter, not a guy who's, you know, um, is out there just to fight. I'm looking for guys that can play the game, that can play a physical style of hockey that can stick up for, for their teammates. And I think that we still I have a guy. There's a conversation about a guy. I want to stay on the Sabres here in this exact conversation. There is a buyout discussion of a player that fits the mold. Now, I, I don't want to give too much away, but how would you feel about Zach Cassian? There's been a lot of talk. I mean, as Bono used to say before the Sunday Bloody Sunday, there's been a lot of talk about this next song. Maybe, maybe too much talk. Zach Cassian just talks about a buyout. I wouldn't even have him bought out. I'd just take him. I would take him. You'd have to give less for him. It's 3.2 for two more years. You can afford that with your cap space, 100%. Could you imagine? And, and could you imagine? Now, I don't even know where you would put him. But here, envision this line, okay? Here's a line for you. I don't know if you would want Cassian playing with Krebs and Quinn or how you'd want to mold it, but let's just say you brought him here just to be a fourth line guy. Cause I think there's a lot more to Zach Cassian than fourth line, but how about this for a line? Gergensen's in the middle, Delorier on the left, Cassian on the right. Where do you put the uh, Poso? I didn't know we were going to get into this third line. 
with your middle stat and Olafson. Okay. You got Cousins, Krebs, and Quinn, Tuck, Thompson, and uh, Skinner. Yep. You know, I mean, I, I and and then you have you have you have a right winger in Zach Cassian that's interchangeable. I mean, you can put him, you can put him anywhere. You can run him with the with the kids if you wanted to. You talk about give Krebs and and. Someone and someone else, some uh, some space. I mean, that's that's exactly what happens when you when you insert a guy like that. He's, you know, because when I said about uh, Delorier, can Delorier play third line? You're like, no. Well, you do want to have a guy that's physical that you can move even further up and down your lineup to play with different guys to give them different looks and even a little more space. You know, yeah. that's just. That's just my thought on it. I would absolutely, and I don't even think you'd have to give up much. I mean, Edmonton doesn't have a second-round pick. Sabres have three first-round picks. I'm not using one of those because you're doing them a favor by taking the 3.2 off their hands. I'd give them a second-round pick. For Zach Cassian? You think they'd want more than that? The the history of injuries? You just said that they wanted to buy him out. Exactly. I wouldn't give a six rounder for Zach Cassian because uh, he's going to get bought out. But the <laughs> thing is, the reason why a second oh, rounder, hear me out, hear me out. The reason why I would give them something is so that I could ensure that I get him. If he gets bought out, there's no, there's no guarantee that the Sabres, that the Sabres are, are going to have a shot at him. But if you trade for him, Maybe I mean maybe a second's too high. I don't know. So if a second's too it's, high, then a second's way way too okay, high. Okay, okay, fine. But I was I'm just being generous because I mean you know Edmonton's going to be asking for for more than what they probably deserve for him, right? So well, listen. I mean, what what is what is the value of of Zach Cassian? You just said that Edmonton is looking to possibly buy him out. So they're looking to to that move has on been from- written, yeah. That's I read, you know, so, buyout candidates. So when you look at Cassian, you you first the first thing you have to look at is how much does he make, and how many years two. does he have left? Two years. Okay, that's two years left. He had nineteen points in fifty eight games this year. He was hurt. We do know that. I mean, I I think he's I think he's capable of thirty five points, thirty 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 to thirty five points in this league. Not as a fourth liner, but if you throw him on a line with you with with Krebs and you know whoever else is playing on that that line with him, I absolutely think he can produce for you and create space. Not at three point two million dollars. I was taking him because of the salary cap. You have the cap space; you got to get it up there anyway. So that's okay. uh, one way that you can. You know, and the next year Oposo comes off, and I just I think I don't know. So I'll take a I'll I'll take Zach Cassian and a third round draft pick, and I'll give them a fifth round draft pick. Who in the league right now is going to take Zach Cassian at three point two million dollars with two years left? Name me a team in the league. I would uh, Buffalo. Okay. Okay. But if we're taking a $3.2 million salary, we're getting something with it. 
You don't just you don't just take on three point two million dollars. Well, you're salaries. not taking on. You're you're getting a player that you need. Okay. So it's not taking on. It's saying but, but I can is, live with Zach. He's worth a, he's worth a million. Three point two million for the next two years. Because Again, you understand what I'm doing, right? You understand that as much as the Sabers may need him. Yeah, you you're lowballing. You're no, you're no no no. What I'm doing is you have to identify how bad does Edmonton want to move on from Zach Cassian? That's number one. And how bad do the Buffalo Sabers need Zach Cassian? First of all, we don't need him at all. Number two, Edmonton Oilers, there is not a team in the league that will take Zach Cassian's $3.2 million salary. I so, kind of feel like Edmonton needs him. That's the, that's the amazing thing about it is that I, I so, you know, when I heard that, I was kind of like that. It just doesn't make sense because they, that's what they need. That's why they brought in a Vander Kane because they were lacking that. Well, they're also and, lacking skill and $3.2 million can be spent on another player that might be, might be a pretty high end hockey player. Yeah, his name might be Evander Kane. Some of that money is going to go to Evander Kane. That's for that's for damn sure. Yeah. But anyway, last thing I'll ask you before we ask Elliot. Pete DeBoer apparently has the uh, is the head runner for Dallas. You know anything about Pete DeBoer? I don't. Just that he's. I was at camp around. with him my last year playing hockey in Florida, and I got to tell you, from what I saw of this guy in a short time. I think he's a guy that I would have loved to play for. He seemed like a very, he demands a lot. He demands a lot from his players. And you could tell that from his video sessions. You could tell that from what he was pointing out about guys and what he wanted them to do. But I'm going to tell you, he's a personable guy. He's a good guy. And I, I think, I just, I can't believe he hasn't, but well, I guess he's stuck. Like he was, he's been in some places for a while. I don't know what happened in Vegas. I don't know if that was all his fault or not. But it doesn't surprise me that he's going to get another shot because he's. Like, a, is it his fault in Vegas? Is it his fault? I that can't believe fifty percent of the team was on injury reserve this yeah. year. Is it uh, is it his fault that you have your captain and Mark Stone get get injured this year? And and basically play the first part of the year on one hip or, or one leg, and then all of a sudden it got so bad, and he looked so bad that they had to shut him down, and he had to have surgery. And was it his fault that Max Pacioretty got injured? No. Was it, it his fault that um, Riley Riley Smith, Robin one Leonard, of his top uh, top uh, six forwards? got injured. Robin Leonard got injured. Robin Leonard got injured. Um, Alex. Um, Even Jack Eichel got injured. Jack Eichel came back after not only being injured, he came back after not playing for. No, but he took that shot to the hand apparently. And it was, it was in rough shape for the remain. And I think that was back in like March that that happened. Yeah. So, I mean, he had to play the remainder of the season with a banged up hand. I mean, you know, you're talking about a guy who's your shooter passer as well, right? So that's right. That's right. Let's uh, let's see if Elliot Friedman thinks that it was DeBoer's fault in Vegas. 
So not fresh out of the wrapper, fresh in the wrapper. Elliot Friedman, good morning. What's going on, man? Good morning, guys. Good game. Well, I mean, now we got a series. Like that's what that's what we got. Now we got a series. And game four will be the best game of the series, I think. I was saying to Riv earlier. I I can't wrap my head around getting your ass kicked by the best team in the league and then coming back and beating the best team in the league. I mean, we've seen it so many times in the playoffs. I just, I can't, I can't figure out how that happens when you, I, I said yesterday, I thought Colorado had a stranglehold and it was over. Um, you know what? It's just a reminder of apparently Lou Lamorello has a saying that losing is losing and winning is winning. And what he means by that is, especially in the playoffs, it doesn't matter how many goals you lose by or win by, it's one game. You know, the 7-0 the game looked like a, what was a total beatdown. But if you're a good and mature team like Tampa Bay, you recognize the goal differential doesn't matter. It's just 2 nothing, And they've come back from 2 nothing down before. And, you know, that's what they did. They were the... They were the better team last night. They they beat them. They earned it fair and square. But, you know, this Colorado's going to flip back Colorado. They're going to say, ah, who cares? We lost by four goals. It's just one, and we're still in control of the series. And I think, PD, the good teams think like that. How was the atmosphere last night in, in Tampa Bay? It was, was pretty it- good. It was pretty good. Um, like, you know, that like, these are two good crowds. I think Colorado is louder, and Colorado uses its music – uh, a bit better, but it's a good atmosphere. Like these lightning fans, they love their hockey, man. They love their lightning. People don't put enough emphasis on how important the music is. They don't. The, yeah. The music's I, I, crucial, man. I, I mean, I still, I mean, it wasn't like it was bad. I just preferred the, the Colorado music a bit more. I'll, the other thing too, about these two teams two, and this is not a small thing two of the best scoreboards in the league. Like two big, clear scoreboards, very, very good scoreboards. Oh, so you're saying if teams invest in good scoreboards, they'll have a better team? I, I, I do now. I do agree with that. I never <laughs> thought that before this series. Uh, oh yeah. Hopefully, all the owners listen to this and they run and get new scoreboards. Let me ask you something: How much are tickets going for in Tampa? Like you a know, front row seat? How much are they going for? You know what? I, I never checked. Um, you know, let me look right now. I'll tell you right now. I'll go on to one of the ticket sites. Um, All right. Because I, I just, I, I, you know, Gary Bettman talking about the uh, HRR going to be, you know, projected around what? 5.5 billion. I mean, it. Yeah. What a rebound for the league, man. I mean, I hope, I mean, he's, you don't think he's fabricating those numbers at no, all. No, 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 no. Um, let's see the cheapest ticket I could find to get in tomorrow night is three twenty-five, and that is up in the corner of the building. Oh, wow. So like, for example, I'm right now, I'm clicking on section one Oh one, which is center ice right behind the benches. Um, uh, the, the cheapest ticket I'm getting in there is 1,092 each. And that's today. We'll see what it is tomorrow. Holy shit. Huh. So there, what would that be in Toronto? Oh, it would be it, it, for game three of us for game four of a Stanley cup final. It would be, it would be massive. 
Would it be five, five times that at the glass? Yeah, it could. Oh, I, I would say so. I, I remember when when um, when the Raptors played for the NBA title. I had a friend who's got seasons tickets, and he was getting offered like thirty thousand. What? Yeah, and he had good seats. He had good seats. Well, weren't tickets in Montreal when they were playing uh, Tampa Bay in the finals going for like ten grand or something? Yeah, was that there... was that was a weird thing because they, they were technically supposed to have five thousand in there. Although I think they were they were higher than that. So did your buddy sell the tickets? Uh, he, you know what he did? He kept, uh, he, he took, he kept game one and, uh, he sold games, game two, and he sold the, another home game that they got. And if they would have had game seven at home, he was going to keep it. So I think, so so he made some pretty good coin. Yeah. I think he had three, uh, he had three, I think they played three home games in the finals and he caught and he kept one and sold two. Wow. Oh, but any game that was a clincher, like he asked me, he, I could make an unbelievable amount of money game seven. He go, I said to him, well, if it was me and I didn't need to sell it, I would be saying if I, if the Raptors won in seven games and I wasn't in there, I would feel like an idiot for the rest of my life. Oh, absolutely. Oh, of course you would. Especially like if you have the tickets, odds are you don't need the dough anyway. And you've already made the money right throughout the yeah. other games of the playoffs. That's right. Hey, will we see Kemper, you think, in game four? I think so. We were having a big debate about it last night. And the reason I say yes is when he was injured and he missed a, a, a bunch of the Edmonton series, game one of the Stanley Cup final, they went to him. That says to me he's their number one goalie. Now, if he falters again, then we've got a problem. But look, he 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 played pretty well in in, in winning the first two games of the series. I don't think you pull him after that. Well, the worst thing that you can do right now is, you know, you look at Vasilevsky got shredded for seven. Mm-hmm. Were they thinking about putting in their backup after that? No way. Not a okay. chance. He wouldn't exactly. even have Vasilevsky, though. That's Vasilevsky. What do you mean, Vasilevsky? Kemper has been their number one goaltender all year. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's had a great season. So at what point are we even talking about? Is, are do you think the margin goals? between. Vasilevsky and their backup and Kemper and their backup or Frank who's um, you think there's there's the the gap is the same not even close I mean Vasilevsky's night and day where you know there are nights where you could say that Frank who's might be better than Kemper just depending right so I think coaches have to be consistent at this time of year and Kemper's our number one guy now if they lose game four six to two We've got a problem. Yeah, you got a real problem. Mm-hmm. But didn't we always say that this series would come down to the goaltending? Um, like Vasilevsky I, I, made some massive saves early mm-hmm. on last night. Like that that Comfer one. Oh, yeah. That Comfer one. Was that yeah. the pad save? The slip? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was that was incredible. I always thought this series was going to come down to the goaltending anyway because the firepower on each side is it's all there. You know, I'm so, beginning to think it's going to come down to who's last team standing. We're getting some big guys hurt here. Yeah. What's uh, the status I, on Kucherov? I think he's okay. I, I, I think he's all right. I got the sense last night I heard he was going to be okay. Was that a sell job, you think? You know, like, I, I, you know, I'll t- Craig, I'll tell you a great story, and you would appreciate this. So there was one time that uh, earlier in my career hockey night, I went on and questioned if a guy was really hurt. And Greg Millen and Glenn Healy, they got they got pissed off at me. They're like, 
if you're questioning a guy being hurt, you better really know. Like, there's nothing worse you can do. It says there's two bad things you can really do is call someone soft or or question a guy's injury. And you better know if you're doing that. And <laughs> you know, the, every day. And, and you know what? It was it was kind of funny. Like, look, like Kucherov, he has remember last year he took that big cross check from Scott Mayfield that injured him and there was no call. So I asked a referee about that. And he said, the problem is Kucherov has a reputation as being an embellisher, right? But the one thing he did say is that they, the referees, they, they do agree. Like if you're going to take a cross check like that from Mayfield or even one from Taze last night, those guys are strong guys and they're going to hurt. So they say it's something, Sometimes it's the toughest call around because if Devontae's cross-checks you in that spot, you're going to feel it. It's going to hurt you. And then they say the toughest thing is deciding, okay, how bad is this really? So I think he was legitimately hurt in the moment last night. I, I just don't know if he's hurt enough he's going to miss games. <laughs> I think he embellished, to be honest with you. I think he knows. I think he's trying to play the refs a little bit. Yeah. You know, he's going to go off the ice, but how long was he off the ice for? He went down the title, right? Yeah, he missed the rest yeah. of the game, but it was 6-2, and there were just a few minutes left. The tough thing is, Riz, like I said, last year, they all thought Mayfield was – they thought he was embellishing with Mayfield, and he broke his ribs. So – like, so I what mean, what play was it years ago on Hockey Night that you were questioning? Was it Kovalev slash the slash? No, I, I wasn't working in Hockey Night then. That was 1995. So that was way before my time. I, I don't even remember what it was. Oh, you know what I think it was? Not Nicholas Backstrom, the capital. But do you remember Nicholas Backstrom, the goalie? He played for Minnesota. He was a good goalie. Anyway, yes, yes, I do. Yeah, I guess. So he got injured in warm up against Chicago, and someone sent me a note like, This guy is ridiculous. And so I said something like that on the air that people are already questioning this. And, uh, and Healy and Millen, they went wild. They're like, You can't say that unless you know. You cannot do that unless you know. And so I, you know, I, I have great respect for both those guys. So I listened. That Kovalev slash, though, was more like 2000 something when Boston, I think. Wasn't it? Weren't you on the? Oh, team? Oh, oh, you know what? You know what? That one. Uh, there's two. There's, <laughs> oh my then he God. comes out. Riv, I covered that series. Sheldon, do you remember Sheldon Surrey? Well, Surrey went after him in the room, right? Oh my God! Yeah. What happened? <laughs> so what happened? Let, hold on, hold on. So let's set the scene. Let's set the scene. Because there's two. The, the Kovalev one that a lot of people remember was against the Ranger against the Nordiques in 1995 where he was hurt and it knocked out a goal by the Nordiques and the Rangers came back and won the series. That was the end of Andy Van Helman's refereeing career, unfortunately. But what Craig is referring to is my first ever playoff series in 2004 was Montreal-Boston, and it was 2-1 in the series for the Bruins. And in overtime, I guess it was uh, Glenn Murray, like slashed Adam in the hands. And he pretended he was hurt. And it was it Murray who picked up the puck and went in a breakaway and scored. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, he ended. He, Kovalev had the puck. It was a little yeah. tiny love tap, and he Kovalev. grabbed his wrist and bent over. Didn't he let the yeah. puck go? Yes. Yeah. And then yeah. I think so, something. I thought it was like, Glenn Murray picked it up and went in and scored in overtime. Yes, and I think Sheldon Surrey was yeah. on the ice and got left out to dry, kind of there because of. 
the uh, the acting on that. And uh, oh man, oh, you should. Oh, like we heard. We heard. How do you want to say what happened in the room, room after? No, you got to tell us. Yes, no. what happened in the room no, after? No, it, Sheldon Surrey was not happy, and he let it be known that he was not happy. He, you know, there's there's uh, there's a time and a place for the European soccer antics, and that was not the time. <laughs> and uh, he let he let it be known. That's it. At a particular player, and he's <laughs> at named player. He, Shelly, is a scary dude. Like I mean, he has is a super nice guy, but holy, does he have a switch? Like I mean, serious switch. And it and, was and it switch was flip that night. And I was smiling the whole time. Even guys in our team were scared. But correct me if I'm wrong. Kovalev missed the next skate. They practiced the next day. And then he scored two goals in the next game, if I'm not mistaken. Can I tell you a story about that? Listen, Kovalev Kovalev is without question. And I've played with a lot of players, many different teams. There's not a player that's even come close to his skill. Like, like, I mean, Saku Koivu, Joe Thornton, Mark Recchi, Donfus, you know. Tell your story, Elliot. Tell oh, your story. Let, no, let her finish. No, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like Alex Kovalev could go down in the history of the game as being the most skilled hockey player in like ever to play the game. Guys said he was with one of the best keep away players of all time. Like in in practice, you could not get the puck off him. Well, the interesting thing about Kovi when when we traded for him, I'd played against him for years. Okay. And he does not hit. He does not play physical whatsoever. And he, I thought he was like 180 pounds, 175, 80 pounds. That's what I thought he was. He's 6'2". I thought he was around 180 pounds because he plays very soft. Um, but he is, he is world-class skill. He walked into our dressing room. And my jaw dropped literally to the floor because he's ripped right he is not ripped he's he is not? Oh. far from ripped okay he's the opposite he of is an absolute man child beast of a body we're talking 230 plus well was he, he ripped or what what do you mean no he's not ripped he's not ripped he's just thick his uh, legs okay. are 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 literally massive tree trunks. His ass is absolutely humongous. His upper body, his forearms, his wrists are like twice the size of my wrists and forearms, his hands, everything about him. He is just an ungodly thick guy. And he like when, when in my, the perception in our head playing against him because he doesn't wear, he doesn't wear equipment. His shoulder pads are like the ones that you get at Canadian tire, back in you know the 1990s and he has you know he doesn't wear big shells on his pants they're just kind of like those girdles that you pull on that have really no padding and he doesn't wear he does not wear equipment so that's why i thought he was small because he doesn't wear big thick equipment when he walked in the room i could not believe how big he was i could not believe how strong this man is and then he is obsessed he goes through practice he's kind of like you know he gives you he gives you just as much as qu- kind of what you need 
and nothing more until after the practice. And then it's game on. Hey, Ribs, Ribs, you want to play? And I'm like, I was like, I was like, holy shit, man. This guy's always asking me to play one-on-one and stuff at the end of practice. I'm like, this is great. You know, now I realize I was just a complete sucker because I never touched the puck, like never touched the puck. Hmm. And I did this for years with him. And then he'd bring in Saku Koivu. And then those guys are now super battling. I was just a complete decoy trying to chase the puck around. I never touched it. Now Saku has it. He is ungodly at, at keeping, keeping the puck. His hands are ridiculous. And he's an angry little guy. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't like to lose. So now you have Kovalev and him almost, you know, playing game situation type keep away at the end of practice. It was unbelievable. Really, really special to watch these guys. He has a great video, a warrior video out there. Uh, you can go see it. It's like all these, he like can sauce yeah. the puck from one end of the rink and land it on top of the net and then like one hand snap it and put a top corner off his backhand. His, I remember a guy on my team, I can't remember who it was, said to me, we were in, in Montreal, it was my rookie year, and he said, Kovalev is my favorite player to watch play in the NHL. He is just beautiful to watch. Skate, the hair. Well, I remember the, the first year after he was finished in Montreal, we all hung our stuff up and uh, did our interviews, stuff like that. And, and we all ended up leaving. And when I came back, I usually come back early to Montreal because there's not a lot of hockey where I, where I live. So I have to come back to Montreal, cut my summer short. And I did it every year. And when I got to Montreal, I walked in the dressing room. Kovalev stuff was still hanging in his stall. <laughs> and didn't take it home. Never, didn't, didn't take That's it home. Awesome. So when he came to training camp, he ended up coming, coming into the room. He grabbed the skates. He brought them over to Pierre Gervais to get the, get them sharpened. And I looked at him and I said, have you not skated all summer? He's like, nope, this is the first time. It was the first day of training camp. <laughs> well, let's let Elliot talk here. <laughs> no, no, no. All these stories are great. I, I, they, they bring a lot of memories. And, and one of them, Craig, is that, first of all, Alfredson and him, when he played in Ottawa, Alfredson and him used to play great keepaway games, and Alfredson used to claim that Kovalev cheated. I can't remember what he said, but he claimed that Kovalev cheated, like with the stick he used or something like that. Oh, so well, he, he's six two, and yeah. and the stick, like most people use, kind of like their chin or below their the top of their lip or their nose. Mm-hmm. Kovalev's stick, he's six two. It would be underneath his his breastbone. Like I'm talking the shortest stick in the league. And on top biggest, of that, it blade. was a brick. Like you could not bend a stick. That's what, yeah, that, that's what uh, I remember that. That's what Alvin said. The stick was heavy or something like that. That He said it was ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, now, I, the, I, the other, the other Kovalev story I got to tell is about that series that Rivers played in. So game, uh, game five Rivers was in Boston. And the morning skate, so you're down 3-1 and you're in big trouble. And the morning skate, there during that series, when you guys skated, we would the, we would stand on the Bruins bench, uh, Healy and myself, and uh, Don Whitman, the late Don Whitman, if he was there. So Healy and myself were standing on the Bruins bench for your game five morning skate, and Kovalev skates over to Healy. Because remember, they won the cup together in 94 with the Rangers. Healy was Mike Richter's backup. And Kovalev said to Healy, he, before he could even say a word, Kovalev says to him, hey, 
I heard the last couple of days while I was getting destroyed, you defended me on radio and TV. He, go, he goes, Glenn, I, I really appreciate it. I thank you for standing up for me. And you have to know that because you said all those nice things about me, I'm going to make you look good. I owe it to you to make you look good. So I'm kind of laughing here. I'm just like an innocent bystander. And I'm kind of laughing here that I'm thinking that and Healy was he was laughing. And I said, to, I said to Glenn, like, it's kind of funny that the guy he says I'm going to make look make look good out here is not his teammates. It's his, it's the broadcaster. <laughs> and Healy and I were laughing about it. And and Healy said to me, he said to me, "You watch, he's going to win the series right now." And he did. He was he went out and he helped you, and, and he was a major reason because that was the first Montreal team ever to come back from three one down in a series and win. And uh, and it was. It was wild. I mean, I just remember him coming over, and he was the best player on the ice the next three games. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember something like that. He, we had Healy on here um, not long ago. He's unbelievable. He was unbelievable. He's, he's the best. I really miss working with him. He was amazing as a broadcaster. He's been amazing at everything he did, goaltending with the PA, now with the NHL alumni, yeah. uh, you know, you know, doing the broadcasting thing. He is one of the most versatile hockey people you'll ever meet. Ever. Uh, oh, Craig just sent the Kovalev slash on. Uh, oh, and slash. look at it. It is literally immediately once you press on the video, it is right away. And you tell me if this is a slash, Elliot. Just, I, 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 I was sitting there watching. It is unbelievable. We're all talking about it like we've seen it. You know what I mean? Um, Elliot, right before you came on, we were talking about Pete DeBoer and Dallas. Is that is that confirmed? Is that They haven't announced it yet. But it's uh, it's gonna happen. Okay, I was saying that I Craig never played for him. I never played for him, but I was at camp in Florida with him for a month, and I just I the, he's such he seems like such an awesome coach, like a coach that I'd love to play for. What happened in Vegas? When are we him? gonna like, see some new blood, Elliot? <laughs> when are we gonna see some new blood in some of these these? Uh, I, I'm, like I'm, I'm like very tell me that. I'm very curious to see, Craig, what's going to happen in Boston and Detroit. I, I think if you're going to see new blood, it's going to be in those two situations. Yeah. Mark Savard in Boston? Uh, I, I he, he fits the pro- – I don't know that, but he, he fits the profile of what they're looking for. Mark Savard in Detroit? Yeah, he, he definitely fits the, the – uh, I, I think he's getting interviewed there. I'm less sure about Boston. I think it's possible, but I think he's getting interviewed in Detroit. Okay. All right. So I feel like Mark Savard has not been uh, coaching very long. Uh, you mm-hmm. know what? Actually, it, it, um, he he has been. You know, he's he, he was an assistant in St. Louis. He coached. He's coached in the OHL a couple of times. Uh, and you know he loves hockey. He worked with us for a year or two at Sportsnet. He loves hockey. I think. I think the question is: Is he ready for this yet? Um, that's the like. There's a guy in Toronto who's an assistant coach. His name is Spencer Carberry. Um, he uh, he was the coach at Hershey for a while for the Capitals, and now he got hired by the Maple Leafs as an assistant coach this year. And I believe he's uh, on the Bruins list to be interviewed. And uh, I, I think the biggest question is, is, is like, this guy's going to be a head coach someday. The question is, is he ready now? That's the question. Well, I'm looking at the uh, hockey DB. He was an assistant coach in the 19, 2000 season. 
as an assistant for St. Louis. And then he was the head coach in 21-22 for Windsor. He's only coached one year in his life. Okay. He didn't co- he wasn't a head coach in the OHL. Was he an assistant coach in the OHL before then? Doesn't have him down here as assistant. So I thought, I, I, you know, I well, last time I saw, last time well, I saw, why does that matter? Bird, I was why does that matter? Video. Well, you know, you always, I mean, why is it? Why is what matter? Why does that tell me why that matters nowadays? Look what happened in Montreal. Cause I think experience, I think experience means a lot. You know, listen, I mean, Martin St. Louis walked into, you know, a tougher situation and they needed a face, a presence, a guy that um, is, has been there, done that, but also had coaches there that could support him and, and, and let him guide, guide that team. Right. Mark Savard, I mean, has coached one year in his life as a head coach. He had a, he had an exceptionally good season with the Windsor Spitfires who just lost out to uh, Jay McKee and the Hamilton Bulldogs in the OHL um, in the OHL cup. But uh, I mean, I think experience is, is, is good too. And I know that we talked to Jay McKee about this, um, you know, a couple months back and Jay McKee spoke about, you know, not rushing the process of becoming an NHL head coach, but allowing him to continue to, to build onto his resume and learn, learn how to be a great head coach. Do you remember him saying that, Pete? I do. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what, uh, what Mark Savard does. Well, what's Trot's going to do? Well, he's meeting with Winnipeg this week. I'm very curious to see where that one goes. Someone sent us something that said he bought a house in Nashville. That's true, but I don't necessarily know if that means anything. I mean, one of his options, I think, is to work in the front office in Nashville. Um, But, you know, I mean, or take a year off. But I don't know. I don't know if that means a ton. You know, you you guys played. Sometimes you buy a house, you get a good deal. You buy a house in the city where you're going to live after your career is over. Or you build a house for a place where you just you and your family like a place you decide you're going to live there when your career is done. You build a house there. I don't know if that means a ton. Okay. Gary Bettman said last week, um, you know, he believes in the Arizona fan base, and I guess that's not how he worded it, but you know, market so yeah. to speak for that team. Why is he so tied to Arizona? Because, first of all, Batman, once he does something, he'll fight to the death to keep it. So uh, I think he won't give up on Arizona until it's, it's, there's no other options. Like, he didn't give up on Atlanta until there were no other options. The owners didn't want to own that team anymore. Like, that was done. Secondly, you know, it is a big U.S. TV market. It's like something like the 10th largest U.S. TV market uh, there is. And I don't think he wants to give that up. Um, look, like the, the like, I, I think it's possible that Austin Matthews wins the Hart Trophy tonight, and he's an Arizona guy. Like, I, I think he feels very important. He wants to keep hockey in that market. And, and the other thing too is, it's just bad to have too many franchises moving around. People don't like that. Now, 
I think the situation is crazy, but uh, like I know who I'm dealing with here, and you guys know Batman. Once he has a plan, he's sticking to that plan, even if that plan uh, doesn't always look right. So, okay. what is the what's the word right now on um, the approval for a new building? We're gonna there they so they had they cross one hurdle they can negotiate it now and. You know, we'll see where we are next year. And where do they want to build that new building? In Tempe. And is that close to downtown Scottsdale? It's, it's a much better location. Okay. Because that's where the downfall was. I don't think, yeah. I don't think necessarily that Arizona is, is a bad place to watch hockey. I don't think that's the case at all. Where they mm-hmm. built that building was in the middle of bloody nowhere. Yes, yeah. And and no one wants to drive 45 minutes, go drink at a hockey game for, for three hours, and then have to drive home 45 to 50 minutes. So the, the failure was the location of where they built that building. Now, if they're looking to build a building that's closer to, to the money, yeah. <laughs> we talk about the people that are going to pay for the tickets, the people that want to go and watch hockey. If you're closer to those people, then this it's going to work out. There's no question. Uh, I, I think if they get a better location, yes, they've got a chance. But you know, there's no guarantee that this is going to happen. You know, there's, I mean, I, I like my father was in the development business for a long time, and he always told me dealing with governments was the worst because you're at their mercy, their schedule, and you just never know what the hell you're dealing with. So, uh, like, I understand that. I, I know these processes. They absolutely suck. Elliot, uh, thank you for the time while you're away at the Cup Final. What is the big story going into 32 Thoughts this week? Uh, I, I mean, you know, unfortunately, you know, I, we've got this, this, you know, yesterday there were the Hockey Canada hearings. Yes. And those were, you know, they, they were tough to listen to, really. Um, you know, I mean... You know, I look. So Hockey Canada settled. Yes. Now, look, like they, they sounds like they did a lot of things that you have to do. They called the police. They asked for an investigation. Um, you know, it's, it sounds like on some level they, they've listened to the victim's wishes. Um, but, um, you know, not making it mandatory for the players to, uh, participate with the investigation. So I was talking to a lawyer buddy about that and, and he just said, you know, maybe you can't, but what we both agree on is that, that if, if you weren't going to participate, they should have said you had to be banned from hockey Canada. Like there's uh, like, I really hope anyone who didn't participate hasn't been allowed to compete for team Canada or hasn't been allowed to be part of any events. Um, but you know, it's, it's it's pretty obvious to to me here that um, that like they didn't do the fullest job to investigate this that they could. Although it's it's clear to me that they that they believe something happened. And you're, are you writing a story about this this week? We talked about it on the podcast today. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. We'll go check that out if you're listening, mm-hmm. and uh, have fun at game uh, game four. Are you on the road for the remainder? Oh yeah, yeah. So we're going. We're, we travel. So from now on, is only one day off between games. So we we travel game four tomorrow, and then we travel to uh, back to Denver on Thursday, and game five on Friday. How do you pack for that? 
Well, you know, one of the, the good things is, is that um, our wardrobe people, uh, Deb and Amy and Fabian are their names. Tell me it's brought for you. They, they ship them in trucks, in, in oh, trunks with yeah. the trucks. Craig, do you have we any have idea suit, who we we're have dealing with here? We have suits sent to Denver and we have oh. suits sent to Tampa. As a matter of fact, Dave Amber and I are presenting at the awards tonight. So they even shipped me a, a suit for the uh, awards. They're they're phenomenal, like just unbelievable people. You well, they're phenomenal, but you got to be big time in order to get that kind of treatment. Well, you know, like, every everybody gets it. Like Jen, Ron, I don't know about Ron. Ron might bring his own stuff. I, I have to check that. But Jen and Dave and Kevin and Kelly and myself, uh, all are and Kyle. Actually, I'm not sure about Kyle. I have to check with that too because. He travels a bit differently, but all of our suits are sent in a couple big trunks to both cities. So Ron McLean, Ron McLean just needs a phone booth. He just goes in, comes out, and he is he pristine, good, ready he, to rock. Yeah, he's got great. He's got good style too. He so, does. Yeah, he, he does, he does man. Style, he's yeah. got great style. I, I need help. It. I need help. I, I need someone to tell me what to do. Oh, you're being modest right now. No, you're true. Oh, you're being so. You're, well, you know what? Sometimes you do it to yourself, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know. You know what I mean? Like you're the one putting the turtleneck on. I love, but I love the turtleneck by the I way. But I, I love yeah. it. I love that look. But I know you got ripped for it. You know, I don't care. I, I know I love you don't. The fun of it. I, I, I know. It. You, there's no fun. It looked absolutely. We're gonna call you uh, Thomas Placanic. <laughs> Thomas Turtleneck. Turtleneck Thomas. Yeah. Elliot, thanks, man. Thanks All for right, your time. Guys, have a great Good week. Stuff. That's a wrap on another episode of After the Whistle. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, After the Whistle, and at Craig Reve 52 at the Instigator76. And you can find us, as you already know, on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, and anywhere else where you can get your podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to spread the word.